In this episode of the Hospital Medicine Podcast, I'm going to try and tackle the treatment of healthcare-associated pneumonia and ventilator-associated pneumonia. We talked a lot about ventilator-associated pneumonia in the last episode, but we really haven't defined what we categorize healthcare-associated pneumonia to be according to the American Thoracic Society. So right now, when we talk about healthcare-associated pneumonia, we're talking about people who were admitting from a long-term care facility or nursing home, anybody that's been hospitalized in the last 90 days, though by definition their hospitalization must have lasted 48 hours or more, anybody who's been exposed to broad-spectrum antibiotics in the past 30 days, likewise anybody who's immunosuppressed or gets hemodialysis or gets wound care has a healthcare-associated pneumonia. More and more data is rolling in about healthcare-associated pneumonias. For instance, there was a study in clinical infectious disease in May of 2013 that was titled Readmission Following Hospitalization for Pneumonia, the Impact of Pneumonia Type and Its Implication for Hospitals. One of the findings of that study that was not very surprising is that readmission rate is higher for healthcare-associated pneumonia than community-acquired pneumonia, but what was surprising is they did not find a correlation between inappropriate antibiotic therapy and readmission. In fact, in the conclusion of that study, the authors say, and I'm quoting them, the variables associated with readmission do not reflect factors that hospitals directly control. And with pneumonia readmissions currently being a factor both in payment and just quality metrics that are posted to the public. The fact that sometimes we really don't have a huge influence from the hospital side of things on readmissions can be frustrating both to the hospitals and to the physicians that are being judged on those quality metrics. Now, one reason that healthcare-acquired pneumonia patients do readmit is obviously they are a sicker population. They've either been in the hospital recently, or they're getting dialysis, or they have chronic wounds. And then there's this issue that community-acquired pneumonia patients tend not to have as much risk factor for multidrug-resistant pathogens. But what's interesting about that point is that it's not so black and white, meaning for community-acquired pneumonia patients, if you have a bunch of risk factors for multidrug-resistant organisms, you might want to treat a community-acquired pneumonia patient just like a healthcare-acquired pneumonia patient. And the data for that comes from the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine on October 15, 2013, in an article titled, Risk Factors for Drug-Resistant Pathogens in Community-Acquired and Healthcare-Associated Pneumonia. And what they found is that physicians can predict drug resistance in patients with either a community-acquired or a healthcare-acquired pneumonia by taking into account the cumulative number of the risk factors that they identified in that study. Meaning, if you have a feeding tube or you take a proton pump inhibitor those could increase your risk factors for a multidrug-resistant organism, whether or not you fall into those definition classifications of healthcare-acquired pneumonia 
that were identified at the beginning of this lecture. Let's talk about some general principles that are used when we treat nosocomial pneumonias like hospital-acquired pneumonias or ventilator-associated pneumonias. The first thing you want to do, and this sounds obvious, but I still see people do this, is that you want to pick an antibiotic that does not include an antibiotic class that the patient just recently had. If the patient was just on levofloxacin three weeks ago for a respiratory tract infection and comes in the hospital, choosing another round of levofloxacin probably is not going to be overly helpful. The second thing to keep in mind with really all pneumonias is that the earlier you treat a patient, the better your chances of having a better outcome will be. And likewise with all pneumonias, if you do get a positive culture result, let it guide your therapy and de-escalate the antibiotics. Now, one of the things that applies more specifically to hospital-acquired pneumonias, including ventilator-associated pneumonias, is how long has the patient been there. Turns out, if you've been in the hospital or on the ventilator for five days or more, that's when your risk factor for a multidrug-resistant pathogen significantly increases. But if you've been there for four days or less, you probably are not going to be dealing with a multidrug-resistant pathogen, and therefore your thinking does change based on length of stay. So for those patients that have been there for five days or more, or do have other risk factors for multidrug-resistant pathogens, what organisms are we talking about? The first thing to consider is that there can be polymicrobial infections, but whether or not it's polymicrobial, the organisms that we generally think about are one, Pseudomonas aeruginosa. So I gave a separate podcast on that, but as far as a gram-negative bacterial infection causing healthcare-acquired and ventilator-associated pneumonias, it ranks at the top. I also discussed in that previous lecture Legionella, which isn't as common as Pseudomonas, but certainly is one of those organisms that can fall both in the community-acquired pneumonia patients and in your healthcare-associated pneumonia patients. Other nasty organisms can include Klebsiella, Enterobacter, Serratia, and these can sometimes have extended spectrum beta-lactamases. Therefore, there's more resistance to cephalosporins as trianam and even aminoglycosides. And then, of course, you really can't think about nosocomial infections without thinking about MRSA and methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus, in which case you really need vancomycin or an alternative for MRSA coverage such as linazolid. Again, I don't want you to not think about the usual organisms like Streptococcus pneumoniae or Haemophilus, particularly in those patients that have been there less than four days, but also accepting that those organisms can infect patients that have been there for more than five days. A lot of hospitals are starting to have problems with acinetobacter that can also be developing increasing resistance problems depending on the facility. There certainly are a lot of other bacteria that are going to show up on culture if you take care of these patients. And then there's also non-bacteria. So viral pathogens, not that common, but if it happens to be a big influenza season, yes, you can pick that up in the hospital too. 
Likewise, on more rare occasion, you're going to sometimes see fungal pathogens like Candida or Aspergillus. But when you do see fungal infections, it particularly is going to happen in immunocompromised patients such as your transplant or chemotherapy patients, and not that common in patients that are immunocompetent. Now, when thinking about antimicrobial therapy, one of the most important things to take into consideration is local bacteriologic patterns, meaning not every hospital and certainly not every ICU is the same. And I think this is a point that sometimes gets lost, that guidelines are guidelines, but even in the guidelines, and I'm going to quote the guidelines from 2005, and so this is the American Thoracic Society Guideline for Management of Adults with Hospital-Acquired Ventilator-Associated and Healthcare-Associated Pneumonia. By the way, due for an update, um, it's been almost 10 years. But the guidelines do say that the choice of specific agents should be dictated by local microbiology, cost, availability, and formulary restrictions. And so while CMS pays people on following guidelines, let's remember what a guideline is. It is not an inflexible statement. Policies are not flexible and require full compliance. Guidelines provide a general direction for accomplishing a goal. There is some discretion in implementing guidelines. Okay, so when we do decide to treat a pneumonia, let's remember that no matter what category a pneumonia falls into, community-acquired, healthcare-acquired, your treatment plan at first is going to be empirical, meaning you're very rarely going to have culture results back by the time you decide about treatment. If you did wait for culture results, then you probably waited too long, and that's particularly true the sicker the patient is. I mean, the surviving sepsis guidelines, and certainly you can have septic shock from pneumonia, make it very clear that, particularly if there's septic shock, then you really should have had antimicrobials within the first hour recognition of septic shock. But just in general, in sepsis, even without shock, you do want to get those antibiotics in as quickly as possible to decrease morbidity and mortality if you have made the decision you're going to be using antibiotics. Don't wait. But again, back to the point that pneumonia treatment is empirical. And someday we may have rapid diagnostics that pinpoint the organism and susceptibility very quickly, but that's just not the case right now in 2014. And so when we pick these empiric regimens, particularly when we're dealing with healthcare-associated pneumonia, Sometimes these regimens are very extensive and broad spectrum. And so there is actually starting to be a little bit of a backlash against doing that. I was actually just reading an article yesterday in the August 2014 Today's Hospitalist, and the title was, Are You Giving Healthcare-Acquired Pneumonia Patients Too Many Antibiotics? Again, with the knowledge that the more antibiotics you give, the more potential for drug toxicity more resistance patterns, and you're trying to balance that against not missing the treatment of an organism. And as pointed out, there are so many different bacteria out there, and all of them are starting to develop these unique resistance patterns. So maybe the answer is that we do need triple drug therapy regimens, and maybe 10 years from now it's you know quadruple drug regimens. But 
there is also a push from some who really want to see more studies done about what are weaker risk factors for multidrug resistance and stronger risk factors. And again, those are starting to be done. And that article in today's hospitalist points out that strong risk factors seem to be skilled nursing patients, patients who have had recent critical illness, prior pseudomonas or MRSA, or have bronchiectasis. Whereas there's some data showing that there are weaker risk factors, meaning living in a nursing home as opposed to being in a skilled nursing facility or having wound care by home health or getting dialysis is not as powerful as the strong risk factors in the sense that those patients don't tend to get as many multidrug-resistant organism pneumonias. Therefore, it's possible that throwing a big triple-drug regimen at a patient who is getting wound care at home is overkill, and we'll see. I mean, definitely the guidelines in the future will have to address this stuff, because giving extremely broad-spectrum empiric antibiotics to a patient that doesn't necessarily need it, yes, it will kill any organism in the lungs, hopefully, but if that patient ends up developing a fatal Clostridium difficile infection, you didn't do them any favors. Along those lines of thinking, we are starting to learn that we may not have to treat these patients with, for example, ventilator-associated pneumonia with really long regimens. And there is data starting to roll in about that. So in CHEST in 2013, there was a study titled Short versus Long Duration Antibiotic Regimens for Ventilator-Associated Pneumonia. And to be fair, it was a meta-analysis, but that's what we've got to work with right now. But basically what they did is they looked at patients with ventilator-associated pneumonia, so possibly one of the worst pneumonias you could get, and they looked at patients who got shorter course therapy, which they defined as less than eight days of antibiotics, and those that got longer course therapy, meaning more than 10 days of antibiotics by their definitions. And what did they find? Well, the groups really didn't differ in terms of mortality, relapse of developing another pneumonia, mechanical ventilation-free days, or the duration of mechanical ventilation or length of stay in the ICU. So we will see if randomized controlled trials prove that to continue to be the case. But I think choosing a week of antibiotics instead of two weeks of antibiotic therapy, particularly when we're dealing with situations where culture results often don't come back, meaning nothing grows to guide us in our therapy, Shorter courses of antibiotics may be just as good, if not better. At a minimum, it'll be better for cost, and possibly you may avoid other complications of long antibiotic treatments. Now, as far as the exact antibiotic regimen to pick when a patient has pneumonia, I do think it's important to follow the guidelines. What I was trying to say before is that Occasionally, you will have to think about special circumstances why you wouldn't follow the guidelines, and I'm pretty sure the guidelines are going to continue to evolve and change. But when they have compared patients with community-acquired pneumonia, when you follow the guidelines, it's actually associated with improved in-hospital survival, shorter time to clinical stability, shorter time to switching to PO therapy, and overall decreases the length of stay in the hospital. Now, 
Is that true for healthcare-acquired pneumonia or ventilator-associated pneumonia? I don't know of any data on that. Perhaps it exists, but I certainly also have not seen any data that has ever said the guidelines is not the way to go. But again, the guidelines tell you to take into account your patient, your hospital, your microbiologic testing in your hospital. But there will be cases that are rather routine as far as hospital-acquired pneumonia and ventilator-associated pneumonia, meaning no patients without some degree of uniqueness. But most patients will fall into what you normally would want to follow as the normal guidelines. I already discussed in a past podcast what you want to think about when you're dealing with pseudomonas. Obviously, as already said, if you think you're dealing with MRSA, you got to have that coverage with either vancomycin or linazolid. Likewise, if you think you may be dealing with a Legionella outbreak or a urinary antigen comes back positive for Legionella, I discussed the regimens that will work for that in a prior podcast. And again, worth overemphasizing that your decision about empiric antibiotics is going to be based on the risk factors for multidrug-resistant pathogens. And again, things like how long the patient has been there can strongly influence that. And most places with electronic health records will have evidence-based medicine and guideline-based order sets that will help you order the right regimen of antibiotics by pulling up the order set for ventilator-associated pneumonias or by pulling up the order set for hospital-acquired pneumonias, depending on your specific facility and what EHR you're using and whether or not your hospital has built those order sets. But more and more these days, probably most hospitals will have those order sets available. Or you can always get online and go to the American Thoracic Society website and see what the latest guidelines are to help you guide your decision. And then once you order those antibiotics, remember it's okay to de-escalate antibiotics if cultures come back and show that you can, or stop antibiotics if the patient is getting a whole lot better. You know, it reminds me of the Irish poet John O'Donohue who said, the best decision I ever made was to become a priest, and I think the second best was to resign. Changing our minds about a decision is not always bad. All right, you've been listening to the Hospital Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Gil Perrott.